that, and I, I was sitting here, and I was looking at it, but it was a great time because we got to have Grant come up here to the front, and, and the people who were here got to lay their hands on him as we prayed for him as he went, and just an exciting service, actually. I was really, really excited when I went home, like I said, because it, it really isn't about the seating capacity of a church as much as it's about the sending capacity of a church, and I stole that from Rick Warren, but when he said it, it, it makes so much sense because it's not about how many people you can get in, it's how many people you can get to go out. And get to go out. And as we look at today's passage, uh, we see something of a shift. We're seven weeks away from Easter, but our passage today is six days away from Jesus dying. So if you have your Bibles with you, I would love for you to open up to John chapter 12, because we've been going chronologically through the Gospels. We've been walking with Jesus since his birth. We've been doing it now for a little over a year and a half. And today we make the turn, the turn that takes him towards his death. So if you have your Bibles, like I said, John chapter 12, we're going to start reading in verse 1 and read through verse 8. And we're going to see a, a story that is probably familiar to most of you. Many of you have probably heard it at some point in time. You've, you've seen it at some point in time. And, and it can become one of those stories that we just read because it's right before the end and we focus more on the end than the th- things that lead up to the end. But today, I, I really hope and pray that, that you see something different in this. So as we read, I kind of want to explain some things to you. John chapter 12, verses 1 through 8. If you don't have your Bibles, uh, we have it up on your mobile device or up here on the screen. So here it is. It says, six days before Passover. This is telling us that this is the end of, of Jesus' ministry. Um, his earthly ministry, that is. Jesus is going to die in less than a week. Jesus, therefore, came to Bethany where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Now, we read that and we understand that because we have understood that Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. It's kind of a cool little story, but we just kind of read over that and don't make a big deal of it. Let me just read that for you a second. Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. Okay, he was in the grave for four days. We didn't read John chapter 11. That was one of the things we kind of went over, but he raised somebody from the dead. Okay, I'm not sure if you've ever been to a funeral, but I've never expected the person in the coffin to get out. Put that in your mind when he says Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, okay? So it's a big deal. And not only is it a big deal, because in Bethany, there's a bunch of doubters. There's a bunch of people saying that Jesus was just a fraud. Jesus wasn't really all that he says he was. He was just a prophet, whatever it is. We've heard things told to us before, even in this day and age. These people saw Lazarus die. They saw him get buried. They saw him come out of that tomb walking and go, you know what, this Jesus guy might be something bigger than we thought. So there's a big thing that's taking place right here. Jesus had raised Lazarus from the dead. So what are they doing? Well, they gave a dinner for him there, verse 2. They gave a dinner for him there, a dinner in honor of Jesus, celebrating him and thanking him for what? Well, bringing their friend, their brother, back from the dead. I mean, if you had a brother who had passed away, if you've had a sister who had passed away, a mother, a father, and most of us would give just about anything to have that family member back just just for 24 more hours. These guys were throwing a huge party because Jesus gave more than 24 hours. So there's this huge party going on, and it says that Martha served, and Lazarus was the one reclining with him at the table. Now, if you look in the book of Mark, it tells us it's actually at Simon the leper's house. That's where this party's taking place. And with Martha serving, you kind of assume that she feels comfortable enough at this house that it's probably a relative. So Lazarus, Mary, Martha, and Simon the leper are all related they're all in this house they're all doing this thing Lazarus is there and in the process of being there you also have Jesus 
So this is a pretty cool dinner, dinner party so far. You have a guy that's been raised from the dead. You have a guy that, if it's Simon the leper, what probably means is because you can't have leprosy and live in town, he's been healed. My guess is he was healed by Jesus. So now he's in the mix there. You have a guy raised from the dead. You have Jesus. You have a leper who'd been healed, and the only way to get healed is by, you know, miraculous whatever. You have the 12 disciples who've seen all of this stuff take place. How many of you guys have been to a dinner party where people try and one-up each other? This would be a good dinner party to be at. I mean, in all honesty. Um, Jim Gaffigan, I think is who it is, he has a whole skit on um, being an astronaut because if you're at a dinner party, you can't trump being an astronaut. If anybody's talking about how great they are, like, hey, I walked on the moon. You know, that you can't beat that. Well, think about this party. You can't beat that. You can't beat getting raised from the dead. You can't beat being brought back in in a miraculous way. You can't beat being Jesus. I mean, that, that's kind of where it all boils down to. And this is a party that's taking place, so you can imagine that. And in the middle of this party, the door flies open, and here's what we have. Mary busting in, and she took a pound, which is about 12 ounces, of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of perfume. Now, I'm a visual guy, and I'm seeing myself at this party, and I'm seeing all the conversation that's taking place, and everybody kind of reclining back, and the door fly open, and Mary's there, and she's got this really expensive perfume. In the book of Mark and the book of Matthew, when they tell the same story, not only did she do his feet, she also did his head. And there's a, a difference in the two of those and the way they're explained because when they anoint the head, it's about kingship. And when they anoint the feet, it's about lowering yourself and washing the feet and putting yourself in a position of humility. Because washing the feet, once again, a visual guy, so I'm going to be a bit visual here, okay? Bathing wasn't a regular thing in this day and age, okay? So... Not only was there a fragrance of perfume throughout that house, my guess is there was probably a fragrance of body odor as well, okay? Let's just be real honest. It, it stunk a little bit in there. And these guys had just walked from wherever. Well, they didn't have nice Nikes that, that wrapped around their feet. They had Air Jesus sandals that left their feet wide open. And in the process of being wide open, they're walking along the ground. Well, walking with dirt and sweat creates a bit of a crust. Well, you're also walking because there's not... There's not concrete or, or asphalt to walk on. There's just hardened down paths. Hardened down paths that have been hardened down from people walking on it as well as animals walking on them. Well, animals have this crazy thing where they just go to the bathroom wherever they want. So you also are thinking that as you are walking along, okay, I'm just being really honest here. A little bit graphic, but really honest. You're walking along and stuff is going to get on your feet. And you walk into this house, like I said, probably been bathed in a while. Who knows when the last time you even washed anything, and you're sitting there, and the job of having your feet washed was done by somebody who was lowly, a servant, somebody in a position that was not up with you. And Mary puts herself in this position, and she is communicating who Jesus is to her. She's letting everybody know who Jesus is to her, because she's opened up, she's interrupted this party, and she's thrown all looks aside to worship Jesus in a way that says, this is how much Jesus is worth to me. But look how some of the people reacted. Verse 4, but Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, he was about to betray him, said, why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? Remember how in verse 3 it said it was expensive? Here's the deal with this ointment. This ointment that is so expensive comes from 
the Himalayan mountains. It comes from a nard plant where they squeeze it out of the roots of this nard plant. And the Himalayan mountains, which is India, Tibet, isn't close to Israel even now when there's cars and planes and things like that. Think about what it took to get that to this place where they're at in Bethany. So it was expensive. As a matter of fact, 300 denarii, the average person made one denarii a day. So if you take 300 denarii, you're talking about a year's worth of, of wages. If you subtract weekends and whatnot. A year's worth of wages. As a matter of fact, depending upon which commentary you read, it's anywhere, ver- the, the value of it in today's terms, anywhere between $25,000 and $45,000. And she busts in with this, and she's got it in her hand, and she breaks it. It's an alabaster jar. If you look at Matthew and Mark, they have a little bit more details. It's an alabaster jar that's broken, and she pours it out. The reason why she had to break it and pour it out is this. It was kind of like, did anybody um, have a grandfather? And I don't want to age anybody by saying grandfather, because maybe you wear it too. But the old spice, that you had to shake it, and it kind of kind of thing and it, it was very fragrant and sometimes grandpa would shake just a little bit too much and you'd be like hey your eyes watering nose burning nose running all that kind of stuff well in that that's the same type of jar this was so you wouldn't waste it by dumping it all out it, it had kind of a, a natural thing where the the air would cause it to, to kind of cut off well she broke it so that wouldn't happen so she could dump the whole thing out she was willing to go in not just take a little dab but willing to go in and judas didn't like it Now, the funny thing is you see this passage, and John's writing after the fact. So he knows who Judas is. He knows what Judas is going to do. And he knows that Judas is a thief. As a matter of fact, he says it in verse 6. He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Verse 7, Jesus said, leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. I pause and think about that for a second. Did she know what was coming? Did Mary know? Something that the disciples, the entire time they've been walking with Jesus, they had denied. Jesus said, I'm going to die. And they'd be like, nah, you're not. You're setting up your earthly kingdom. And Jesus, no, seriously, I'm going to die. And they're like, well, yeah, whatever kind of thing. And they would go back and forth. Did, did Mary actually get it? Was she the one that didn't go, eh? No, she had something. She knew what she was doing question to think about as we continue jesus says for the poor you will always have with me but you do not always have with me with you and as you look at that some people take that and say well, what's jesus saying about the poor this is kind of a, a paraphrased version that i found that i like he said leave her alone and god's great plan suffering and death for sin has already begun this woman uh, i'm sorry has already begun and this woman shows her love for me at a time when i'm already headed for the tomb As for the poor, taking care of them is a good and biblical act of righteousness, and you should do it. However, you'll have ample opportunity to demonstrate that concern. I'll be gone within a week. Basically saying, you know, take a look at this. You're always going to have the poor, but I'm only going to be here for a short time more. This is a powerful passage of Scripture. And I'll tell you, I've read this passage a bunch of times. As a matter of fact, I probably read it 25 or 30 times this week, just trying to grasp what it had to say. Because so often that I've read it, it was just the passage that led to the next passage. It was that one that, yep, that's cool. She went in, she did that. They had a little talk about poor. Judas gets called out. That's it. That, that's kind of the whole passage. And then you move on. But when you stop and think about it, what, what really is being said here? And I think this passage is, is really 
really pretty big for us in a number of ways. And, and so what I want to do is I want to pray. I want to pray that God speaks to us in this passage in a way that affects you. Because I think each one of us can see this differently. Because even as I read it out, I saw four or five different things that just really popped out to me. So maybe God's going to speak to you in one of those areas. I just pray that he does. So let's do that right now. God, thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your son. Thank you for the example of Mary that we see here, of her willingness to give all. And God, as, as we gather this morning, as we praise your name in song and we listen to your word, I pray that it is not my words, but it's yours. And you speak to us and you affect us right where we are at. And I pray that all in your name. Amen. Here's what I see when I read this passage. Because after I read it, I, what I try and do is before we get to it is I say, okay, what's the, the overarching theme of this passage? And what can we gather from it when we're gathered together on Saturdays and Sundays? What can we see? I'll talk with Jerome and I'll read it to him and he'll, he'll read it kind of and we'll, we'll talk back and forth. And, and you know, each of us have different things that we'll see. But these are the things that I saw in it. The first thing I saw is that Jesus is better. Jesus is better. We've been going through the book of Hebrews with our men's Bible study on Friday morning. As a matter of fact, we just wrapped it up um, this last Friday, and this next week we're going to start in the book of Ephesians. So if you uh, haven't uh, been wanting to do Hebrews because you're like, that book is hard, uh, let's do Ephesians and come join us this Friday for a breakfast burrito at 6 o'clock. We'd love to have you. But the whole book of Ephesians, I'm sorry, the whole book of Hebrews is about Jesus being better. Jesus is better than anything else we have to offer. And I see that's what, that's what Mary's saying here. Judas, not so much, but Mary is saying that. Second thing is, I see the passion is infectious. Passion is infectious. And as I see the passion is infectious, this is kind of where it's at, because it's a story of contrast. You have the passion of Mary pouring out everything she has to, Judith, or to Jesus. But Judas, on the other hand, has got a passion that is actually negative. And if you look at the other Gospels, the other disciples kind of gathered around Judas saying, yeah, we could have sold that. What a waste, you know. And they're kind of doing that whole thing. And you'll see it. My guess is, is as we even talk about this today, when God spurs us on to do something, you're going to have those who are passionately following along with you, and you're going to have those who are passionately criticizing you. It's just the way that it is. And passion is infectious. The next thing is, is that Mary gave all. Mary gave all. All that bottle was, was probably their life savings. That's my guess. It was probably a family heirloom that had been passed down. It was that emergency fund just in case anything ever happened. This is what we have to give. This is what we have to sell in order to survive. And she busted it out and dumped it on Jesus. She gave all. And the last thing I see here is that we need to honor Jesus above all else. Honor Jesus above all else. So which one this morning should we focus on? That's the question that I come to after I read these kind of things. Which one is it that we, we hit? And I went, you know what? Could we do them all? Is it possible that they all tie together, each and every one of those? Because if we honor Jesus, take this just for a moment. Where was the party taking place at? It was taking place at Simon the leper's house. Why? To honor the guy who brought their brother back from the dead, and quite possibly who brought Simon back from the leper camp outside of town to honor Jesus. So it all starts, this whole thing starts with honoring Jesus. And as we see that, we see the whole setting wrapped around that, and it leads on from there that as they're honoring Jesus, there's nothing else that they could do but understand that he is better. 
and pour out everything and give to him in honor. Because like I said, what would you not give to have your family back together, back from the dead? And as we see that, we say, you know, let's throw a dinner party. Let's, let's just have a good time. Let's, let's honor the guy who did it all. And Mary breaks in, and she, she gives all. And in the process of giving all, some people from the outside say, man, that gift was over the top. That gift was extravagant. As a matter of fact, if you look at the definition of extravagant, it says this is a def- definition. Spending too much, going beyond what is reasonable or be exaggerated, unreasonably high in price, flamboyant, exaggeratedly decorated, decorative, or showy. The idea of going overboard to do too much. I'll be honest with you. This passage shows Mary going overboard. She does what in many in that room's mind is too much. She gives an extravagant gift to Jesus when they could have easily given it to the poor. They could have easily done that. And I'll be the first to agree with you. There's a lot of things in our society they're extravagant. And when we look at extravagant that way, we see it in almost a negative term. Think about this. How many times have you watched some reality TV show that has something to do with a wedding and the bill racks up in the $2 million, $3 million range? And you go, what in the world? There's stars that go out and they throw out these gigantic, huge weddings for millions of dollars. That falls into the definition of extravagant. When you look at somebody who says, yeah, I spent $10,000 on a room at a hotel, that, my friends, when I'm sending a kid out to live in his car that doesn't even cost $10,000, to live in it for three months, that's extravagant. When we look at somebody who buys a car that's in the $250,000, $300,000 range, and you know, those are just really pretty, and every once in a while I'll see them blow my doors off on Paseo del Norte. But that's still extravagant. I heard a story not too long ago. There's a guy that plays for the Lakers. And maybe you heard this story. He actually has a separate guest house at his house that actually has two armed guards for his shoes. He has, <laughs> he has 500 pairs of shoes that are apparently worth money. And he has a separate guest house to house these shoes in with armed guards. I appreciate him helping the economy by hiring two people. Beyond that, that's extravagant. All right? That's crazy. And we look at things like that. We use the word extravagant. And we think, man, that's a negative thing. But let me ask you this. When it comes to the way that we express our love for Jesus, is there anything we can do that can be considered negative if we go extravagant? Is there anything that we can do that, that would be not worthy of, of him or too worthy of him? Is there anything that we can do that goes over the top when it comes to worshiping Jesus? You know, we sing songs like, our God is greater, our God is stronger, our God is higher than any other. We give to him. Why? It goes back to Hebrews. It goes back to what we said, because Jesus is better. Jesus is better than anything else. He is greater than anything else. And this question that kept rattling around in my mind this week as I looked at this passage, as I broke the passage down, as I, as I saw what Mary did, it came to this. What are you willing to give, Matt? What are you willing to give? What would I be willing to give to say that Jesus is the most important thing 
in my life? Because that's exactly what Mary was doing. What would I be willing to give? Would I be willing to give a year's salary? Would you be willing to give a year's salary? That's a, that's a tall order. That's a scary thought to think about. And she did it throwing caution to the wind. Give all of my savings away. Give all of my retirement. Well, my retirement's really not that great. So it, it probably wouldn't be that big of a deal. But, you know, if it were my year's salary, if it were that, if it were laying it out, how much do I give God at this point in time? And I'm not just talking about the 10% tithe. How much do I give of myself to God? Because she gave all. But Judas, on the other hand, he just wanted to look holy and stuff. I mean, in all honesty, that's all he wanted. He wanted to look all super spiritual. And he said, hey, we should sell that and give it to the poor. Yet he was a thief. As a matter of fact, if he had sold it, and if many people had sold it, what they would say is, well, I'm going to sell it. I'm going to give my 10% to the church, and I'm going to pocket the other 90. That, that's kind of our mentality toward, well, I have to give my 10%. That, that's where it boils down to. But the crazy thing about him is, is that wasn't he the same guy that in six days was going to sell Jesus out for 30 pieces of silver? Would you give all to Jesus, or are you going to sell Jesus out for something that is shallow and not going to last? It's a tough question, I know. And this is one that I've been battling with in my head all week. Because the reality is, which is better? The temporary riches that we're going to sell Jesus out for, or him that we're willing to give everything for? Is giving my all to Jesus, that selfless devotion, is it a waste? Because when you really look at the the book of Matthew and the book of Mark, that's, that's what the other disciples responded with. Why this waste? Do people look at you when you're saying, I'm going to give it all to Jesus and say, don't waste your life on that. Waste your life on things that don't matter. Nobody would say that, but isn't that exactly what we do? Like I was saying, even before, you know, there was a battle that used to take place in the day that people, and even in other countries right now, should I go to church on Sunday morning? There's a battle that takes place. I don't, I don't want to waste my, my life for Sunday, or my Sunday morning on this one. I could waste it on that kind of mentality. And there's a battle that takes place today that's so much different than it was then. Is giving my all to Jesus a waste of my life? Will I draw criticism? From those, or is keeping my life, my priorities, my all for me a waste of my life? And this is what I boil it down to. A life spent on Jesus is not wasted. As a matter of fact, the story we have, it's illustrated in the book of Mark, chapter 8, verses 35 and 36. It says, For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and yet forfeit his soul? Later, even in the chapter that we're reading right here and right now, John chapter 12, verse 25, it says, Whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. See, Mary denied herself, and she hated her life for Jesus' sake. She hated the, the salvation, and I say hated because she, she turned it away because she loved Jesus so much. She, she gave it up for that very reason in all devotion to him. You will not waste your life if you spend it in selfless devotion to Jesus. We won't. We won't waste it. And, you know, there, there's some, some components that we see in this story for, for this selfless devotion that she had that, that I think we can learn from. As a matter of fact, there's four of them that I see right away. 
The first one is this, is that selfless devotion, giving ourselves up, wasting our lives for Jesus, is costly. It's costly. That is the first component. Mary's anointing Jesus was costly really in three ways. The first way we see, obviously, is financially. Do I treasure Jesus more than my stuff? I mean, that's a, that's a heavy-duty chunk of change that she broke open, dumped out. She could have done the Old Spice dab, been like, here you go, Jesus, let me go ahead and rub that on your feet kind of thing. But no, she dumped it. She poured it all out. She gave the whole thing as an offering to Jesus. It changed everything. Do I treasure Jesus more than my stuff? What she did spoke volumes to who Jesus was in her life. Some of you who have sang uh, hymns most of your life, maybe you remember these words from Isaac Watts' hymn, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross. The final verse says, Were the whole realm of nature mine? That were a present far too small. Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. And isn't that what it is? Because that's the point, that devotion to Jesus will cost you. And the first one is financially. Why? Because he bought you with his blood and he owns everything. It's all his anyway. And he can direct you to give it all or he can direct you to give some. He can do whatever he wants with that. It's how we respond. Will we respond to what he has for us? She knew that Jesus was worth it. She knew it because she saw what she did in her life. She saw what she did in Simon's life. She saw what he did in Lazarus's life and it changed them and it changed others as we'll see here shortly Jesus was worth it so let me ask you is your devotion to the Lord costing you financially if others looked at you and said man the way they spend their money really tells me how much they love Jesus how much would they see the second part of that what it's going to cost is it's going to cost you socially it's going to cost you socially do I treasure Jesus more than my pride Matthew and Mark say that Mary anointed the head. But like I said, John focuses on the feet. John focuses on the fact that she got down on her feet, on her face, in front of Jesus' feet, and washed her feet. Now, let's go back to that grisly picture of what's on that feet. It's, It's not clean. It's not something that's normal. I mean, I know that we always see Jesus in the pictures that he's got a really clean white robe and he's got perfectly parted hair with fluffy curls and stuff like that. But that's not how I ever see Jesus. That's not the Jesus that, that I see. I see a carpenter who is walking daily and has gruff hands and, and is rough and is darker skinned. It's a Middle Easterner. I haven't seen any white, blonde-haired, blue-eyed Middle Easterners in my life. And, and you know, there's a, there's a lot of things that I see about Jesus. But one thing is, is that his feet were dirty from walking and she got down and she washed his feet and not only washed his feet, but she didn't take a towel. What does she use? Her hair. And there's a couple of significant things about the hair that we see here. First of all, what's she wiping off into her hair? Dirt and grime and all kinds of stuff. Who knows what's in there? And that's in her hair. And then the other thing is, It was actually against the Talmud. It was inappropriate for a woman to let down her hair in front of anybody except her husband. And she's in a room of at least 15 guys that we've talked about. And she throws all of that aside, all the pride issues. Actually, if you let down your hair in front of somebody other than your husband, it was grounds for divorce. That's how serious it was. And and this is the way that, that she just, all the stuff, she just threw aside. 
and said, I don't care about that. All I care about is Jesus. It's kind of like when, when David in, in 2 Samuel is dancing before the Lord with the Ark of the Covenant and his wife is embarrassed because of the way that he dances um, and, and how he's dressed as well. But he's out there just having a good old time. She's like, what is wrong with you? And she's like, I am holding nothing back because I am celebrating who God is to me, what God has done. And it changed everything. And that's exactly what Mary's doing here. She didn't care about public opinion. She cared about what God thought. Just like David cared about what God thought. So I ask, do I treasure Jesus more than my pride or my concern about what others think about me? It's a very real question we have to ask. The third thing it's going to cost us is in the area of criticism. The area of criticism. Do I treasure Jesus more than my reputation? Like I said, the book of Matthew says, but the disciples were indignant when they saw this. Not just Judas, but the disciples. And they said, why this waste? They're being reasonable, right? I mean, yeah, we could have sold that and given it to the poor. Makes sense. We might say it. As a matter of fact, we probably would say it. Because a lot of times, the biggest critics are the ones who stay in the boat. They're the ones who criticized Peter when he got out of the boat. You know who those critics were in that story and in this story? Followers of Christ. Isn't that a little crazy? Isn't that like one of those kind of gut punches? You go, oh, why does the church have to do that? Because isn't that the way it is? The church is the one that sometimes can rally around and say, hey, you're being an idiot. When all you're really doing is giving all to God. I mean, when Grant, he was sitting right over here, I asked him. I said, hey, you're going out and taking a big journey. I remember when he told me back in January what he was going to do. And I went, all right, that's cool. That's, that's insane. I mean, he has a really nice Pontiac GTO that he sold for a 1992 Volvo station wagon. Who does that? And then who wants to drive it across the country and live in it and work with homeless people? I'm like, okay, well, maybe you'll come to your senses sometimes in the back of your minds what you're thinking. But he kept getting pushed forward and pushed forward and pushed forward, and he had plenty of people supporting him. And I said, hey, in all your support, did you have any criticism? He's like, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And where'd it come from? He said, well, I, some of my closest friends are the ones who said it. Some of my closest people who supported me, everything else I ever did, are the ones who said, you know, that's the people. And it can come that way. Do we treasure Jesus more than our reputation? I'm not sure if you know who Jim Elliott is. Jim Elliott um, had a movie made of him called uh, End of the Spear. And, and, uh, and maybe you know this. I'll read a little bit of the story that, that was about him. It says, when Jim Elliott set his sights on going to the unreached tribes of Ecuador, his Christian parents asked him to consider whether his gifts could be better used among young people in the United States. That sounds reasonable, right? His reply was a scathing denunciation of the lukewarm American church. He went to South America where he and four others were murdered trying to tell a lost, savage tribe about the love of Jesus. You see, they wasted their lives for Jesus. Selfish devotions will involve personal costs. There's all different sorts of personal costs, but where does it come from? That's where component number two comes in. Selfless devotion stems from personal love and gratitude. I, I can't even imagine if Jesus brought a family member back from the dead. Or maybe I can't. Because maybe it wasn't physically. But I've seen friends, I've seen family members who have walked a path that is leading on the road to destruction. And Jesus brought them back from the dead. And, and that, 
That's a huge thing. And we show our love and our gratitude for him. And in that, shouldn't that be all the motivation that we need to love him? In return, all that he has done for us, all that he has done for our family members, all that, what motivates us to have that selfless devotion to him? See, selfless devotion is costly and it stems from that gratitude. But the third thing is, is that selfless devotion flows from knowing Jesus personally. Jesus 12, 7. Oh, sorry, John 12, 7. Yeah, you're like, where's that one at? <laughs> it's in my own Bible, guys. I have my own interpretation. But John 12, 7, it's a difficult one to interpret. It's a difficult one to look at and see what is going on when it says about the fact that, that she was saving that for the burial, that she had that for the burial. And, and, and I read all different sorts of commentaries that said, hey, this is what it meant. Or, hey, this is what it meant. And I, I sat there and looked and I said, you know what? I, I, think, I think she got it. I think that's what it meant. That she got it. That she understood what Jesus was doing. That although all the disciples and all the po- uh, apostles and all the people that were following her, they were still struggling with the fact that Jesus was going to set up an earthly kingdom versus a, a spiritual kingdom. She somehow was the one that got it. And I think, how is she the one that got it? And then I stopped. And I said, how many different times throughout Scripture is Mary mentioned? Just a handful. But every time she's mentioned, you know where she's at? Jesus' feet. She's the one when her sister Martha was complaining about, I'm doing all this stuff, and she's just sitting at your feet. And Jesus is like, hey, she chose the right one. She knows where she's supposed to be at. Every time she's at Jesus' feet, she's... They're listening. She's not arguing. She's not talking about what she thinks he might be saying. Well, like all the disciples, anytime they're walking and they're probably all kind of behind Jesus and they're probably back just like any kid in any car that goes on a long road trip. There's going to be arguing that takes place to the point where you're in the driver's seat going, just stop talking. Please, God. He was God, so he's probably just talking to himself. But that's a, you know, that, 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 there's just that. But she wasn't ever there. She was the one that was at his feet listening how often are we at jesus's feet how often are we spending consistent time in his word in in prayer listening and not telling how often is that us because that selfless devotion will spring from us knowing him personally and that's how we get to know him even better is being at his feet the fourth thing is is that selfless devotion results in action See, Mary just didn't think about this amazing, radical, crazy, extravagant way of showing love and go, you know what, I better not do that. That might be a little bit over the top. No, she did it. She went and she did it. She put her thoughts into actions because thoughts, they're great. When Grant told me back in January that that was something that he wanted to, that was great. Now that he's on the road right now driving down I-25 South, wow, I can't wait to hear the stories of what God does and how he uses it. And the people that he meets that nobody else will talk to because they're homeless and they're dirty and they're people that we don't generally want to interact with. And he says, I'm going to throw all that to the wind and I want to hear their stories. That's impressive. We see that, how it all pours out. And you know what? That, that result of self, selfless devotion not only flows in this story from Mary, but it also flows from Martha, and it also flows from, from Lazarus. 
Here's what I see. From, from Mary, when she broke out that perfume, the action resulted in the fragrance surrounding the room. Our actions can result in the fragrance of Christ surrounding our life. Do people smell Jesus on you? Yesterday when we got out of the, out of the circus, we, uh, we walked, you know, tingly. It's a barn. And there's animals and stuff, and there's different fragrances that were floating around. And, and we got into our car, and um, it, it smelled like um, wipes, like diaper wipes, like one of our wipes had been left out, and it kind of had that smell in the car. And Peyton goes, it smells hot in here. I said, what does hot smell like exactly? He's like, well, you know, like this. I'm like, no, I don't know. I don't know what that smells like. And, you know, it, it, it's funny. We, we forget, we forget, you know, yeah, th- there's, there's things out there that, that smells take us back to a place. I, I think it's probably been psychologically proven that that's the one thing that takes us back. Imagine this smell that's inside of this house. Because she broke open this jar, and it's a strong, powerful jar. It's like if you have a teenage boy, it's like axe throughout your house. And, and it's, it's flowing from the house, and it's flowing out the windows, and people are smelling it, and now it's in her hair. And as she's walking around, it, that fragrance is there. And imagine that fragrance takes them back to that one spot. It brings them back. It's a powerful tool. And what's the thing that we smell like? As Mary's walking, people say, man, I remember that time. There's that full devotion to Jesus. That smell's taking me back. What do we smell like? What do we have as a fragrance of Christ? The fruit of the Spirit, of love, of joy, of peace, of patience, of kindness, of goodness that, that takes people back. Jerome actually sent me a, a verse last night, and I pulled it up on my phone here real fast. Um, it, says, it says this. But thanks be to God who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession and through us spreads the fragrance of knowledge of him everywhere. This is 2 Corinthians 2, by the way. For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. The one fragrance from death to death. The other is a fragrance from life to life. Who is sufficient for these things? For we are not like so many peddlers of God's word, but as men in sincerity, as commissioned by God in the sight of God, we speak in Christ. We are the fragrance of Christ. We are what they smell. Do other people sense the fragrance in our life? Do they have that? People who come into this church, they should, they should smell that. They should understand the love and the joy and the peace and the passion that comes from knowing Jesus. The second action, it resulted in a service for Christ. See, while Mary was doing her thing, Martha was also doing her thing. But there's a difference in the way she's doing it this time. As she's doing it this time, she's not complaining. Because the first time she was complaining that that Mary was at Jesus' feet. This time, she just continues to work. She understood her role in it all. Action results in service to Christ. Do you know your role? Where you're to be serving? What you're supposed to be doing in Christ? the body of Christ, in the area outside of the body of Christ? How are you supposed to be serving people? The third thing, action results in witness for Christ. And now we look at Lazarus. Look at the things that it tells us about Lazarus here in the text. First, Jesus raised him from the dead. Pretty cool. Second, he was reclining at the table in fellowship with Jesus after being raised from the dead. Even cooler. I mean, getting to hang out at a table with Jesus has got to be pretty all right. Third thing is his resurrected life 
resulted in many coming to see him and believe in Jesus. Look at what it says. I stopped at verse 8. Look at verse 9 of John chapter 12. When the large crowd of Jews learned that Jesus was there, they came not only on account of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priests made plans to put Lazarus to death as well. Why? Because on account of him, many of the Jews were going away and believing in Jesus. Lazarus is an example of our witness for Christ. See, first Christ brought you back from the dead. Now we get to hang out with Christ. And people should see as we're hanging out with Christ a change in our life that leads us, that leads us in a way that they say, wow, what's different about him? As a matter of fact, I look at verse 11, and what if verse 11 said this instead? On account of filling your name there, many were going away and believing in Jesus. That would change things, wouldn't it? Mary's actions reveal the proper basis for evaluating our actions. Do we do what we do because we love and treasure Jesus? Do we do what we do because we love and treasure Jesus? Sometimes I I feel like, well, I, I can't. I can't do that. I can't be that over the top. I can't be that extravagant. I can't do crazy things like that. I read this morning Isaiah 55, 10 and 11, and I, I wrote it down on this, and it says this, For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but they water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and the bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the things for which I sent. It's not about me. It's not about whether I can do it. It's about me being the one who is used by God because what he does will not return void. Two cool things. Grant, who was here last night, he had uh, two friends with him that have been coming on Saturday night now for about a month. And um, me being the guy who puts his foot in his mouth, um, I walked up to him and said, hey, guys, it's, it's been great having you. Um, you know, Now that Grant's leaving, I assumed they weren't going to come back. I mean, I thought they were just here to support him. I know, I'm an idiot. That's, that's on, we'll have that online forever. Um, but I, I said, and, they, and actually one of the guys said, well, no, we're, we're going to come back. I said, I tried to have a surprise face. <laughs> like, cool, that's, that's great. It's great. He said, no, actually, um, he said, uh, I've been hurt by church quite a bit. He said, throughout my, my life, I've, my dad worked in Christian camps, and it's amazing the non-Christian things that happen at Christian camps. And I'm like, oh, no, I've, I've worked at Christian camps myself, so I understand. And, and uh, he said, but I, I've really been hurt by, by the church. And, and uh, seeing Grant's devotion has made me say, you know what? There's a God who loves him. There's a God who loves me. And I, I can get past people being dumb. And I can, I can give myself back to God. And, and, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do that. And so we're going to continue to come back. And I said, man, that Grant never thought that was going to be the result of his choice. Uh, we got a call a, a couple of days ago. Um, as many of you know, we've, we've adopted uh, a little boy uh, now almost a year ago, as crazy as that is. It's, it's, uh, it'll be a, a year, a month from tomorrow. It'll be a year that we got him. And, uh, and um, we had somebody tell us this week, um, they said, you know, 
watching your story on Facebook, watching it all unfold, watching all the videos you guys post, they said, it has really changed my husband and I, she said, because I never thought that anybody would want to have a child with special needs, want to go out of their way to get a child with special needs. And, and she said, you know, it, it's changed us. It's changed our perspective on things. And I've, I've heard from other families here in, in the church that are saying, you know, uh, we're very interested now in, in moving towards adoption and, and how to go about it, asking me questions about international or adopting from the foster care system here. And as a matter of fact, this week um, on Wednesday, we signed the papers to uh, adopt a little girl, um, sorry, um, from, from, uh, from China uh, with Down syndrome. And so the uh, uh, funny thing is she's about eight days younger than Adali, so they will be uh, brothers and sisters and and uh, in an adopted family, and, and totally, totally excited about it, and uh, overwhelmed with it emotionally, obviously, um, because I don't have any idea how we're going to do it. <laughs> um, but it, it's so exciting to, to see God work, even when we have no ability to make it happen ourselves. We have no ability to do it, and to hear people tell me that, that it's helping them, it, that's not the reason why we do it, but that God does it that way, that his word doesn't return void, that he goes out and he changes lives. And then that we're all about, about coming as we are. Mary didn't do anything special to primp herself up to get ready. She came in and she just gave herself all, and she was changed, and in the process, she is a story that is now talked about 2,000 years later that changes people's lives. It's a crazy thing to think about. Mary did it because she had a perception of Christ that was greater than even the apostles at that point. And I pray that as we do things, that we see Jesus as a treasure that he really is and that we're willing to give all to it. Let's pray together. Father, thank you. Thank you for who you are and what you do. And we, even in the picture of adoption, we're so thankful that you have chosen to adopt us as your sons and daughters. Ones with blemishes, ones with stains, one with all sorts of special needs. But God, you loved us enough. You loved us enough to, to send your son for us. God, I pray we never miss that. That you brought us back from the dead. That you brought our brothers back from the dead. You brought our sisters back from the dead. Our moms, our dads. You've brought them back from the dead to be close to you. And we need to celebrate that. And we need to honor you in this house and in everywhere. In our houses, uh, in our workplaces. We need to honor you and let that fragrance of you pour out. God, you are so very awesome. There's no other word I can think of to use it. And I want to give my life completely and totally to you. And I pray that people in here have that same feeling, not because of what I do or because of what somebody else does, but because of what you did and you are continuing to do, that you have saved us, that you are still saving. And there's people out there that are lost that need to be saved. They need to meet your son. God, use us because your word will not return void. I pray this all in your name today, Lord. Amen.